here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, friends. This is Everything Evolves, the world's only podcast devoted exclusively to Evolve Wrestling. I am one of your hosts, one of the wrong boys, Aaron Bentley. I'm here with my man, Aaron Taub. What is up, Aaron? Not much, Aaron. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm coming to you live from the laundry room of my girlfriend's aunt's luxurious beach house on Cape Cod. It's 8.30 in the morning. Everyone else who's here in the house uh, stayed up late watching Zootopia. So I think I'm the only one up, and I've sort of insulated myself in this room so as not to disturb anyone, but still going to be bringing that heat, you know, and if it wakes them up, you know, it wakes them up. How are yeah. you? I'm doing great. It is early. We are going to work to bring the energy on this episode despite the early hour. Uh, and in all honesty, I'm fired up from these shows from this weekend. So I'm ready to bring the takes. Just to remind everyone, we are a proud member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Please check out all the other great podcasts at voicesofwrestling.com or your favorite podcast app. And you really want to follow us on Twitter. We're out there. We're at Evolve Pod, and we're bringing the social engagement. I got to say. Love to engage socially. Yes, we love it. And I got to say our Twitter feed is really good during these shows. You want to be there. And I know how many people are listening to these shows. I see the numbers. And there's a lot more than follow us on Twitter. So come on. Uh, join the fun. Uh, you can also follow Aaron and I. Personally, I'm at Aaron like the car. And Aaron Taub is at AP Taub. Okay. Let's get into these shows. Uh, the first show of the weekend was on Saturday night. Evolve 88 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Aaron, overall, what were your thoughts on this show? I thought this was a really strong show, and I really enjoyed the sort of storyline progression that we saw on it. We've, we've talked in the past about how adding storyline intrigue can really enhance matches and give us more reasons to care about them. And I think we saw that throughout the show, uh, particularly on the, on the undercard in the Keith Lee versus Ethan Page match and the Tracy Williams versus Darby Allen match. We, we really were able to sort of see a continuation of the characters that started to get built uh, last month in New York. So I, I thought that this was a very good show. I thought that the last three matches were all very good. While there wasn't anything on the show that I felt was like totally a blowaway match, I thought that everything on it was solid at the very least, and the last three matches were all very good in their own special way. 
So I, I found it really satisfying. Um, I, I, I get the sense that you weren't quite as into it as I was. No, I, I thought every match was was fine at minimum. I didn't think anything was miserable or anything like that. Just nothing really, not only did nothing blow me away, uh, there was very little that I was uh, excited about after it was over. I did think there was good storyline progression for just about everyone, almost everyone. We'll get to the the exceptions to that. And so I enjoyed that, but a lot of the in-ring just didn't didn't get me going the way that I usually like uh, to get out of Evolve. But the, the main thing I noticed starting on this show, and it kind of bleeds into uh, the second show, is we're in the middle of a, a new transition for Evolve. We've talked in the past about how you have the Evolve in like the Evolve 20s area where a lot of it is super indie, flippy type wrestling. We get into, of course, the grapple fuck style that was so popular in Evolve. And now I'm not sure where we are, uh, but I do know that, and the first match we're going to talk about is the main event from Evolve 88. What I do know is that these Zack Sabre Jr. matches, at least on this weekend, are starting to stick out. And I'm interested to see, and when I say stick out, I mean, you know, they look so much different from the rest of the card. And the crowd seems to react that way. Like, wait, this is kind of weird and different from what we've seen the rest of the night. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Let's go ahead and talk about that match. Uh, it was the main event of Evolve 88 for the Evolve Championship. No holds barred. The last match ever between these two men and Evolve. Uh, your champion, our champion, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, defeated Timothy Thatcher with an octopus hold in the ropes, which I was happy about because I felt like the no holds barred stip really wasn't used that much during the match. I mean, there was a lot of brawling on the outside, but that's like no count outs or falls count anywhere or something. But we got the finish in the ropes, so I liked that. What did you think about this match? It was, I said before the match that I thought it should have been in Laboom. That would have really helped the match, and I, I stand by that after seeing the match. Uh, did you think it worked in front of this crowd? Yeah, I I, I, I quite liked it. I, I thought that it felt like the crowd was was fairly into it. And uh, I, I felt that it wasn't like the most exciting match for me personally. I think that if you like the grapple fuck style, like if sort of late 2015 Evolve is your jam, you probably love this match because I thought it was sort of a great example of what Timothy Thatcher is about stylistically. If you look at this match, it just, it was one of those matches where it felt like every single movement these guys made was a struggle. There's one sequence in particular that I, that I really loved is like late in the match or, or midway through where, you know, Thatcher had Zack Sabre Jr. in a choke, you know, by, by in the turnbuckle and then, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. is trying to bend Thatcher's fingers to get out of the hold. And then, you know, he, he puts Zack Sabre, you know, he, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. puts Thatcher and some, you know, attempts some kind of triangle and Zack's hanging by the turnbuckle and Thatcher's grabbing his leg to try to put him in a crab and Sabre Jr. is trying to kick him with his other leg to, to keep him away. It just, it just felt like every single thing was like a war in and of itself. And if that's the kind of thing that really fires you up and you're really into, I bet you love this. And, and for my part, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I also thought that it was a nice little bow on the story of Zack Sabre Jr.'s uh, title chase and his ultimate triumph, right? They've talked a lot in the past about how 
Timothy Thatcher broke with tradition by refusing to hand Zack Sabre Jr. the Evolve Heavyweight Championship after he beat him for it. And in the end, uh, I thought the closing sequence of this match was really excellent with Zack Sabre Jr. powering out of the hold that Timothy Thatcher had him in the ropes and, you know, Stokely Hathaway standing there yelling at Zack to tap and shoving the base, the, the belt in his face. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool moment of triumph for him to get the octopus holding the win. And I liked that after the match, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. gave Timothy Thatcher a chance to regain his honor by handing him the title and Thatcher obliged as Stokely Hathaway cried. It was just a, it was a good little culmination of the story that I felt was, was satisfying. They, they did a nice job of wrapping everything up. And I thought the match was really good, even if it wasn't like, you know, sort of my exact cup of tea. Yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good match. I know you're not a star guy. I had it at about three and a quarter. So, uh, you know, w- well better than average, but nothing that really blew me away. Uh, but I did like it. There was some brutality that I enjoyed. I'm not a big fan of when a match moves outside of the ring, it loses my interest a little bit already. So I'm just not a big fan of that. Uh, But they did a lot of cool stuff inside the ring that I enjoyed. I did like the post-match where he called him out and he made him hand him the title, except I'm not sure if this is a, I'll be careful here. I'm not sure if this is a criticism of Zach, which I am want to do, of course, but I don't feel like Zach has really told us over the last several months that that he continued to be upset about that, that that continued to kind of eat at him. And so he needed this other match against Timothy Thatcher to make him to beat him and make him hand him the title like he was supposed to do. If we had a little more of that, that would have built this up and made this feel a little more special. The now we're going to go back to the start of the card and go down. Uh, like normal, the first match of the show, the returning Caleb Conley was defeated by Jason Kincaid with a compassionate release after a really fun double stomp uh, from the rafters, which I I really enjoyed. Kincaid breaks his 10-match losing streak in Evolve. Did you like the way that Kincaid story kind of wrapped up, or did it leave you a little unsatisfied? Um, I I would say that I'm ambivalent. Firstly, shout out to Caleb Conley's Charlotte Hornets theme gear. The buzz is back, and uh, we're all you know that that rules. I loved it. I thought that was nice. I, yeah, it was. Sick. I love the. I love the. I love the teal and purple. Uh, it's a great look. We're all '90s kids, and uh, I just thought it was important to to take a moment to appreciate that. But uh, but to answer your question about Jason Kincaid and his story, I, I, I thought that. You know, we talked about uh, in our preview show how it would be kind of weird for him to get this win because, you know, he's been get building frustration for months. And then for him to sort of beat someone like Caleb Conley, who hasn't been in the promotion in, in a long, long time, it's not really a signature win. It doesn't really feel like you get a sort of catharsis from it. With that said, I was invested in this match as it was going on. I felt it was a little slow to begin with, but but as it as it picked up towards the end, uh, really everything after Kincaid kicked out of Caleb Conley's lung blower, I felt was like, I was like, I'm, I'm into this. I want to see if he wins. I thought the action was good. And uh, I liked, I liked that, that when he, when he climbed up onto that, the pole in the ceiling and did the double stop, I thought that was awesome. 
And and I, and I also got a kick out of Jason Kidd's face after he won the match. He sort of he had this look of shock on his face, and he, his eyes were darting around. And, you know, I, I thought it was really cool. And, and well, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, you know, after we discuss his victory over John Davis the next night. But it's the issue for me now is, like, what happens? Does this frustration that was building with the losing streak go away? Are we just kind of dropping that? And this is the resolution, this the wins over guys who don't really compete and evolve? Or are we going – or, you know, where? what is he now? Is he just kind of, like, back to where he was, where he's just sort of a lower card guy who can beat guys who aren't in the promotion and lose to – people higher up. I, th- I think we'll get more clarity next week. I, I imagine that after this, they'll say, okay, Jason KK got these wins. Now we're going to put him against someone who's a little bit higher up on the pecking order. Maybe he gets another match against a Fred Yehi or someone sort of, or maybe an Ethan Page, someone of that stature who's kind of like middle to upper mid-card uh, wrestler who we can see whether whether this was just a fluke because he was facing, you know, lesser competitors or whether Jason Kincaid has really figured something out. Yeah. I think they could still make it interesting if he comes back next time and, and loses to lower guys who are lower on the card and evolve and kind of resets that frustration in a way. I can see how that would be more interesting than he just continues to like, if he had lost to these two guys, that's kind of a predictable story, but if they do something a little different, that could be interesting. Well, I have more to say about Jason Kincaid, but I'm going to hold it off until after the John Davis match. And we'll, hold this little point about where to go with him. The next match on the show was supposed to be Austin Theory versus Trent Beretta. Unfortunately, Beretta was injured, so he had an elbow issue where he had developed an infection in the elbow. It looked really nasty. Uh, He had a big thing jumping out of his elbows about the size of a tennis ball and unfortunately was not able to compete. So we were instead treated with Austin Theory versus PWX talent Ethan Case. Uh, not just PWX, seen him elsewhere, but of course he had performed on the PWX show that happened earlier in the day uh, before the Evolve show. Ethan Case did lose to Austin Theory with the Theory KO, which I like the move, not crazy about the name, uh, but this was good. Did you like it? Yeah, I, I was into it. I, I thought that, yeah, that finish looks great, that Theory KO. He really tosses people up there. And and I like that we're seeing this new character I loved at the beginning of the sort of like opening scramble where theory sort of got the better of case in that first scramble. And he looks at him, he goes, you want to leave now? I just, I don't know. I thought it was a nice touch. I got a kick out of it. And yeah, I thought this was nice and short and, you know, he beat the local good guy and pissed everyone off in doing so. So yeah, I thought that this was a match that accomplished its goal. Yeah, it was smartly done because you bring out a guy who the crowd is going to know. If you have to do a replacement, it's good to have someone who the crowd is going to be invested in. And you they used him well to get Theory some heat. I appreciated that. I have seen previous Ethan Case matches, and I think he's a good worker. I saw. I wish I could remember who he was wrestling in a CWF Mid Atlantic match. He was very good. I just and he was good here. I just don't think the guy fits in Evolve. He doesn't have a major league look and I think evolve. I know where it stands in the pecking order, but it's a major league promotion. It should be presented as a major league promotion. And I'm not sure that Ethan case fits the bill from a a look standpoint. So I thought he was fine as a one-off on this show. I just don't want to see him come back to the promotion. Sorry, Ethan. Speaking of Ethan's, 
They followed that up with Ethan Page losing to Keith Lee uh, after Keith hit him with a discus forearm. Aaron, this tracked exactly what I said on the preview shows. I was concerned that if Ethan Page lost here to Keith Lee, he would become Evolve's version of Bray Wyatt in that he comes out, he makes these uh, these big proclamations about what he's going to do, and he never comes through. And that's exactly what we saw here. And it, it was almost – Page almost told us during the match that that's what was happening because, I don't know, he didn't seem – he didn't seem that fired up uh, before the match, during the match. A lot of people talk about how you can tell Sasha Banks is going to lose by the look on her face when she when she comes out. And I just never got the sense from Ethan Page from the second he walked out that he was going to beat Keith Lee. It never occurred to me uh, once that started. And we'll talk more, of course, in the second night about how he followed up on this uh, huge disappointment of – not being able to do what he said he was going to do and beat Keith Lee. Obviously, he was despondent at Evolve 89, and we'll talk about that more. But uh, at this point, Evolve is Bray. That's that's the new hashtag. That's where we go from here. The match, I don't know. The match I thought was boring. I didn't enjoy it. It was, I thought, a, a waste of Keith Lee in that it just wasn't that exciting. We did get to see... Lee seemed more serious in this match. So we had some of that storyline progression for Lee, at least, where we saw that it looked like he was bringing a little more intensity than he, uh, you know, from the, the things that were stopping him from succeeding in the past. So I liked that. But overall, uh, I could have done without this. Yeah, I, I, I actually enjoyed it. I think that for me, you know, I don't need every match to be, you know, I don't do star ratings. And, and I think that aligns with kind of, my personal philosophy of what I like about wrestling. And I don't need everything to be a five-star classic. I like to see the storyline progression that we saw here with, with Keith Lee being a little nastier and sort of laying in his stomps. And this was a thing we were right about, right? We talked about last week about how um, Keith Lee was reticent to give Matt Riddle a hug after he'd lost to him and how we thought we were going to start seeing this edgier Keith Lee. And as, as, for everything that we are we were wrong about uh, later in this show, we got this right. You know, we saw this coming, we talked about it, and then it, you know, appeared before our very eyes. So that was really cool. And and I thought that Lenny Leonard did a really nice job here, sort of bringing the subtleties of the match to the forefront, noting when Keith Lee was stomping Ethan Page the way Ethan Page had stomped him last month in New York, or you know, discussing how in Keith Lee's first match in Evolve, Chris Hero told him he needed to develop a killer instinct. And so I thought, like, I felt like in some sense, even though they kind of went away from it and came back to it, this was like the culmination of a six-month story with Keith Lee as far as finding that killer instinct. You know, I love I love the finish of, of Ethan Page throwing those kicks at Keith Lee. After, so Keith Lee tried the, the sort of the traditional wrestling finishing move of the, of the ground zero, but Ethan Page kind of wriggled out of it. And then I just love that finishing sequence of Ethan Page throwing these these kicks at Keith Lee, who has become more of a monster, right? More of the monster you would expect from a man of his size. And he just powers through these. He hits his headbutt. He hits his discus forearm, and he wins the match. I thought that that was a really 
great bit of in-ring storytelling. So I, I really like this. I, I got a lot. Of, I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't like a five-star classic or anything like that, but I got a, I got a lot out of it. And uh, yeah, do you want to talk about the post-match? Yes, but first I, w- I want to defend myself. Okay. Well, one, I want to say part of the problem was that I was never, I never was convinced that Paige could win. So it was hard for me to really invest in a match and, and buy in. But I want to defend star ratings for a second. Okay, let's hear After it. After you've thrown slander sure. upon them. Uh, when I star rate, it's not just how great was this from a work perspective, but it's the whole package, right? Like a lot of people will, a, a great example was that Hiromu Kushida match where that lasted like two and a half minutes. And a lot sure. of people were like, not rated because it wasn't long enough. No, we need a, the rating is based on, did this accomplish what it needed to accomplish, right? Like how effective was this match? I've rated it four stars. I thought it was great. It was perfect for what it needed to do. So I don't think star ratings should only encompass what, uh, you know, the work devoid of all context, but uh, the entire package. So I'm sure everyone was really wanting to hear about star ratings on this. Yeah. I mean, look, star ratings are cool if you're into them, (laughs) but personally I'm pretty articulate. So I can just tell you with my words, how much I liked a match and why I liked it. Wow. I'm kidding. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Well, I guess, you know, if I graduated from an elite university, I might be more articulate. I might be able to better, uh, say what I want to say, but instead I went to a state university that is not, uh, elite by any stretch. Yeah. Just a regular man. It's not an elite public university. Like it's not North Carolina Chapel. It's most certainly not. The purpose of state universities is to educate the state. <laughs> the citizens of the state, uh, not to be on some big list where you uh, look like you're better than everybody else. So the post match, <laughs> <laughs> the post match, uh, Lee gets on the mic, and he kind of plays into the, what we're talking about here. He says, "Look, this is a new Keith Lee." Uh, he's telling, he's talking specifically to Stokely Hathaway and Tracy Williams, since he's got the match coming up with Tracy Williams on the next night. And he says, if you stick your nose in Keith Lee's business, there's going to be hell to pay. So Tracy Williams decides to stick his nose in Keith Lee's business, which I appreciate. I mean, Keith Lee's a big dude. I probably would have would have uh, said no to that. But here comes Tracy Williams. Then we get Thatcher who comes out. So this is fascinating, I think, with this new uh, this this new organization that includes Catchpoint and Thatcher. So we have some new things that are going to tie together that didn't really come together before. Thatcher comes out, distracts Lee, which allows uh, Tracy to kind of uh, attack Lee or attack. Yes, attack Lee. I said that correctly. We get Darby out. This is like a classic evolve thing where everybody's got to come out that's involved in in their little story. So Darby comes out. Tracy Williams and Timothy Thatcher both attack him. Thatcher's gone out of the ring. Stokely uses this opportunity to put the boost to Keith Lee, uh, but Keith Lee gets up and chases him to the back and. Thatcher chases after so that we can clear the ring of everyone who's not involved in the next match, uh, which is something that uh, Evolve promoter Gabe Sapolsky loves to do, that we can just bleed right into the next match, which I appreciate. I kind of like the little flow that we get sometimes. Anything jump out to you from this post-match, Aaron, that you think is noteworthy? 
Not, I mean, just that we're getting Thatcher Lee next, which I think will be... I'm not really sure what that match looks like. I don't think they've wrestled involved before. I'm pretty, fairly confident in that. I don't think so. I feel like we would remember it. And so, yeah, I, I think... I don't know what it looks like, but I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, I'm here for it, for sure. Yeah. Tracy Williams defeated Darby Allen next uh, with a submission on the injured elbow of Allen. Of course, story goes back to Allen breaking his elbow in a match with Ethan Page, and basically everyone has attacked it ever since Darby came back in the promotion. Uh, this was, importantly, Tracy Williams' sixth consecutive victory since he joined the Dream Team uh, with Stokely Hathaway. I guess not really the Dream Team, but you know what I mean. Uh, did you? What were your thoughts on this one, Aaron? I, I dug this one. This was another match where I felt like the work that they had done in the past to build up these characters was paid off here, right? We'd seen, I thought this was a really clever way of doing this and maybe I'm reading too much into this. So uh, this might be, uh, this might be a match that I saw that wasn't there, but in the, in the past few months, they've sort of been building up this story about how Darby Allen is, is determined after his injury uh, to prove to everyone that he is more than just a guy who flies and who takes insane falls, that he is a real wrestler with a capital W. And in his return match, after being away from the promotion, I think he he showed you he's working on those things, right? We got a La Magistral cradle really early on, and he tried to, you know, show that he could wrestle with Tracy Williams, but ultimately he's not there yet. Tracy Williams is a stronger wrestler. Tracy was grounding him. He was beating him up with slaps and, and the crowd was getting behind Darby's comebacks, which is great because that's one thing you have to love about this guy. I love the way that he inspires sympathy with his heavy breathing, and his facial expressions. And uh, he just really communicates that he's in a lot of pain. And, and then at the end, I thought it was cool in that he was getting beat, you know, in the sort of more traditional wrestling. And he started trying to get his flying game going. He went back to, his old security blanket of, of the flying moves. He hit that sort of through the ropes, tope con hello. And, but ultimately it wasn't enough. The flying failed him too. He went for the coffin drop and that led to the finish with Tracy Williams rolling him into that. He had a, he had him to roll up and then he turned it into the cross face, but Darby didn't tap. So finally, he, you know, finished him with that, that, that hold on the arm. And so I thought it was a really smart story that showed that, Darby's working on some things, but he's not there yet. And while he still has his uh, his heart of a champion, the uh, it wasn't enough to beat Tracy Williams on this night. Yeah, I think you're spot on on this match. Uh, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I thought that was the story of the match as well. I mean, I've said before that sometimes wrestling fans like us look a little too deeply into some matches and find things that aren't there. But if we both saw it, Aaron, it had to be there. Obviously. We're right. We're so frequently correct that if we both right. agree on something, you can pretty much take it to the bank. Yeah, duh. I mean, uh, you know, Ethan Page beat Zack Sabre Jr. Matt Riddle beat Zack Sabre Jr. Wait a second. Why are all our wrong predictions about Zack Sabre Jr. losing? I don't know. We we'll, should take something from yeah, that. Yeah, well, let's let's we'll unpack that uh, at a future <laughs> date. Our next match uh, was between Fred Yehi and ACH. Uh, Yehi won with the Koji Clutch, as he often does. Uh, I should have set this up in that this was 
not supposed to be these two guys matching up, but we had to mix some things around because of uh, Beretta's injury. Uh, I guess I screwed that up earlier, didn't I? Because I said it was supposed to be Beretta in theory earlier in the show, but of course it wasn't. It was supposed to be ACH in theory, and uh, Beretta was supposed to face Fred Yehi. So wrong boys strike again. Uh, but luckily, we're still on the air, so I could fix it this time. So this is when we kind of were like, okay, if we had the replacement earlier, I was afraid we were going to get two replacements with like PWX guys. But uh, instead, it worked out this way. Uh, ACH did come out earlier and say, uh, I was supposed to be in the second match with Austin Theory, but I don't wrestle in the second match. So, you know, I'm just not going to wrestle. And he went to the back. He comes out before this match and <laughs> announces that he's been informed backstage that he actually gets paid to wrestle, not just for appearances. So he was going to have to have a wrestling match. So it worked out perfectly that Fred Yehi needed an opponent. We get uh, ACH out in shorts and a T-shirt, which I did have to wonder for a second if this was just because ACH forgot his gear, which is something he has done in the past. Uh, or I think he missed a flight before, and so he didn't have any of his gear and had to wear someone else's gear. Um, this, what I enjoyed here was the continuation of this ACH story about uh, you know him feeling like he's too good to wrestle at the beginning of the card. It's almost like he graduated from an elite university and doesn't think he should have to mix with the uh, plebeians on the bottom of the card. So I enjoyed that. <laughs> the match itself uh, was okay, but it never really grabbed me. It uh, felt, I think it was only about 18 minutes long, but it felt pretty long at spots. Um, what did you think about the match and the, the ACH uh, characters uh, progression here? Well, I would start with the ACH character, which I, I love. I mean, this dude is totally fucking insufferable right now. He's, it's just like, um, it's kind of funny because, you know, you alluded to some sort of some of the, the, the uh, blurring of the lines between real life and pro wrestling fiction uh, here with ACH. And, you, you know, if you read enough on message boards and online, I'm sure you've heard, you know, sort of the whispers about how, you know, people saying that ACH can be immature, that he can be kind of annoying. And when you see this character, you're like, oh, OK, like, I'm sure that he's not like this in real life. But if this is there's like a hint of that in his real life personality and they're turning it up to 11, as Stone Cold likes to say, you could see how he'd rub people the wrong way. I mean, this dude is just like every dude I went to high school with on Long Island who's entitled and he's doing their, you know, he's, he's got, he does his little quips to himself that he thinks are really funny and clever, but they're really not. And he's just, uh, it's like, what if Tetsuya Naito were just really fucking annoying, right? He has this sort of, that, that lazy entitled attitude, but also he's just running his mouth all the time. So I, I thought I'm, I'm into hating on ACH. Uh, and I thought that this match was pretty good too. I, our, our friend of the show, who we'll talk about again later, uh, Oakgan on Twitter, and that's just an A-side, right? We don't have a lot of people tweeting at us all the time. So, you know, if you, if you engage with us, you can get some airtime on this niche wrestling podcast. So, so Oaken sort of uh, laid out his, his theory of Fred Yehi's work, and maybe we'll get him on the show at some point to briefly explain it. I don't want to steal his thunder, but he sort of explained what to look for 
when watching Fred Yehi, and, and it's it's opened up my eyes to what he's doing. I think you need to, instead of looking at it as sort of what body parts is he attacking or or things like that, it's it's a, it's a struggle for control and balance. And, I'll, and hopefully Okin will, you know, come on and, and give us the full uh, unified theory of Fred Yehi. But uh, under that lens, I enjoyed this. I thought we got some good character work from ACH, and, and I thought that this was a fun back-and-forth match. You saw ACH getting a little mean and sort of laying those kicks into Fred Yehi's back. And, yeah, I, I, I thought this was a fun match. The, the finish, I, the one thing, that I, the critique that I still maintain of Fred Yehi is that I think the finishes sometimes feel like they're coming out of nowhere with the Koji clutch, and it just felt sort of, you know, he hit a flat line or he turned into the Koji clutch, and that was the end of it, e- even though it felt like they had been building more momentum and, and could have sort of given you that, that uh, that crescendo that you sometimes look for in, a, in an exciting pro wrestling match. You mentioned this blurring uh, the, the lines of reality with the ACH character. Do you think it crosses the line of being too meta, like too much about uh, backstage politics versus just being a pro wrestling character? No, because I thought the next time, well, the next night was a different story. Well, and we'll talk about his match with Ethan Page a little bit later. But I thought here it, it, it's good because it's not, you know, they're not talking about, oh, remember when he had that Jay Lethal match in Ring of Honor and he, like, couldn't make it or whatever, you know, was that happened. I, I think that they're just telling the story of a, a spoiled wrestler who is, you know, unhappy with his spot and feels entitled to something better. I don't think that... I think it plays on the real life stuff. So if you're keen to it, you're, you're aware of it. But I think that this character works on its own. And I, and I think that that's like an interesting thing. I think, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the, the international object podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to them, but there is kind of like liberal arts kids who would talk about wrestling and they had this theory that pro wrestling at its core is a workplace drama and viewed through that lens, I think that this is kind of like an interesting story. Okay, I, I can see that. I was just wondering, like, if you're outside of the wrestling bubble, as we say, if it still connects with you. And I, I can see how it could. I'm glad that they've gone this way with the character, because the first time this popped up, we talked about how, like, this would be a really poor way to get babyface sympathy. And so <laughs> I'm glad they went the other way with it. Yeah, and I think one thing I would say is that I think it does resonate outside of the wrestling bubble, just in that, like, I don't know, you have a job, you work in an office, we've all we've all worked at jobs, and we all have known people who felt they were too good to be there or too good to do the more menial tasks that uh, I see you point, Aaron is pointing at me on the screen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I will say that... Uh, I'm always down to do the dirty work. I'm a total team player. And uh, these accusations are false. I, I work for myself now. So, you know, there really isn't a, <laughs> I'm doing everything. What a class warrior. <laughs> uh, the last match that we haven't discussed yet uh, was the match for the Evolve Tag Team Championships. Chris Dickinson and Jaka were defending their titles against newcomers to the well the team was a newcomer to the promotion james drake and anthony henry who were built as the workhorsemen uh as you probably know by now if you're listening to this anthony henry and james drake won the match and are the new 
Evolve Tag Team Champions. Well, first, I think we obviously have to address just how wrong we were about the outcome of this match. I literally laughed at the idea that Henry and Drake would win this match. I laughed about the fact that Gabe had spoiled it because he booked Drake versus Henry for the next night. Um, I, I was almost like to the point of loopiness about how bizarre I thought it would be for Drake and Henry to win this match. So that was funny. People on Twitter really enjoyed that. A few people pointed out uh, how wrong we were and they got a kick out of that. I got a kick out of it. Other than delighting in how wrong we were, uh, did you did you enjoy the match and did you enjoy the surprise outcome? Well, it was like kind of only partially a surprise to me in that. So we're here on vacation right now and uh, I can't just spend all of my time watching and talking about pro wrestling. It'd be pretty shitty of me to like the other people we're here with. And so on Saturday night, I was just hanging out with my friends and my girlfriend here in the beach house. And uh, we were just like, I didn't watch the show, but because I have just a constant need for affirmation, even though I was like staying off Twitter, I was just, I was like, I got to check my mentions to see, you know, if anyone's giving me likes, anyone's giving me some of that positive reinforcement that I need to feel good about myself. You know, so I just can't stay away from the mentions. So I'm checking my mentions and I just saw the aforementioned Ogan was like, hashtag Ron boys, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And my first thoughts, as they always are, were with Zack Sabre Jr. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we didn't even discuss the possibility that he could lose to Timothy Thatcher. Um, has our sweet woke boy lost his title? You know, I was, I was terrified. And then I started think more, thinking more about the episode that we had just recorded and what we talked about. And I was like, oh, gosh, the Sons of Dirty Daddy fan club might be uh, in for an unfortunate surprise in that. Because we had, you know, I had said, you know, it was almost a joke that I was making the prediction because it felt like such a, a sure thing. And I was like, you know, if we get this wrong, we're never making predictions again. And so I was like, oh, so, okay. So clearly one of these, one of these people, one of the champions lost their title and I didn't know who it was. And so I was watching the tag team match very intently because it was like, if they, if they, if Dickinson and Jocka had retained, then I would have been like, oh, I guess Zack Sabre Jr. definitely lost. So I was, it, it wasn't as much of a shock to me in that I had figured there was like a 50-50 chance that they had lost the match as opposed to going in when I would have thought that there was like, a 95% chance that they were going to win. So with that said, I would say that this was a pretty good match. I thought that the beginning of the match was kind of slow. It took a while to pick up. And given how behind the Southern boys the crowd was, I think that they could have done a better job of being more intentional about building sympathy, you know, by beating down on Anthony Henry. I mean, they got there eventually and they got the hot tag. And that was when it was only after the hot tag, I felt that this match really picked up and kicked into gear and really locked me in. And when it did, it did. I mean, these dudes were just throwing bombs, you know, one after the other. They had that crazy uh, Tower of Doom power bomb thing they did to Dickinson, and Dickinson and Jocka did their their double stomp burning hammer combination. It was it was pretty it was pretty exciting. And I thought that the finish was clever where um Drake hit them, hit the big, the big man moonsault, and you thought that was it, but Dickinson kicked out, and then you know James Drake hit that drill bit move uh, for for the finish. So they kind of played with your expectations in that 
you know, there was the kick out and you're like, oh, okay, these guys are definitely still retaining. And then, you know, they went to the finish. So I thought that was good. And it was a great moment for that crowd. They really exploded. And I, I, I like that. And, and as much as we would like to be correct all the time, I think that it's important to feel that anything can happen in wrestling. And I love that wrestling, as much as I think about it and obsess, it can still uh, surprise and delight me. So I, I thought it was good that they did that. And now whenever there's like a random seeming title challenge in this company, you're going to look back and say, hey, remember when James Drake and Anthony Henry won the titles in Charlotte? Yes, it was definitely makes sense. Like you're talking about going forward and that, especially if, if the tag division is going to be booked like this to where there's kind of one or two real tag teams in the promotion. And a lot of the challengers are kind of brought in for a, a one shot thing. It gives us a new way of, of thinking about those matches. I thought the match itself was kind of weirdly laid out in that what I thought we were going to get was a match a lot like the Dickinson and Jaka match in Chicago, where one of the criticisms I had of that match was that it wasn't given enough time, so they really couldn't get enough sympathy on the hometown boys to really get the crowd invested in the idea that they might win. So, of course, as I'm watching this match, I'm thinking, I'm still thinking there's no chance Drake and Henry are going to win, but I'm like, all right, let's you know, let's get some more sympathy on those guys so that the this North Carolina crowd really buys into it. Instead, we got you know as we're getting down the the finishing stretch of the match, the challengers are getting all the near falls, which I thought was weird, not what you would normally see in that kind of match. And then Dirty Daddy does this one count kick out, except the crowd is like totally against him at that point. So nobody really reacted to it. And it was such a bummer. Uh, So I thought that was kind of weird. And I don't know. I just wasn't on fire about these guys winning these titles. I like Anthony Henry a lot. I think he's a really good talent. And I I would like to see him being involved more. So that's cool. James Drake, not so sure about. Uh, I will admit right now that I had never seen the guy wrestle before this match. My goal over the next month before the next Evolve shows is to seek out other James Drake matches and see what he's all about, what he's up to. Because a lot of people like him. I'm looking through Twitter and people that I respect their opinions. Uh, Alan Cunahan, for example, is like, James Drake is brilliant. I love him. Uh, I can't do an Irish accent, so I'm not going to try. But Alan is saying that. So I'm thinking, all right, this guy's probably pretty good. But when I watch these matches, look, A, these trunks have got to go. they got to go. Like, if you're going to be a chubby dude, that's cool. I'm not against chubby wrestlers. Chris Hero is, like, one of my favorite wrestlers. And he's like, dudes, I'm chubby. Love it. And we did. We all loved it. Right? We did. We did. So it's like, James Drake, cut about half of your trunks off. You don't got to have dirty daddy trunks. But just wear normal trunks. It looks weird. It, it, I just don't like it. Here's my second thing about the actual work. I get that he's a big dude and he wants to do some cool flippy moves because they look cooler when you're a big guy, but his stuff doesn't look that cool. Like the standing shooting star press. I was amazed that he could get over it all, but uh, it looked sloppy. It was not cool. So, and especially it's, it's tough to sort of do those kinds of things when you're on the same show as a legitimate freak of nature, like Keith Lee, who's not just doing these, but doing them in a way that's just like, 
extremely smooth and astounding. Yeah, like, I don't mean this as a shot at PWX, but maybe on a PWX show, that looks really impressive. It's like, oh, there's this big, huge guy doing this move. But when you're on a big-time show like Evolve, where you have guys like Keith Lee or guys like, you know, Dijak, who's been there in the past, who's not a not, obviously not a chubby dude. Big Don is ripped, but uh, he's a big dude and he can do these crazy moves. So I think you're I think you're exactly on point that somewhere else this might have looked more impressive, but it wasn't impressive here. I'm going to talk a little more about that as we move through Evolve 89, but I don't want to I don't want to spoil it all now. So let's get to Evolve 89. Uh, Marietta, Georgia. Sunday night, Aaron, this show wasn't good. good. (laughs) We're going to disagree on this, because I like the second half of the show, but I am in complete agreement that the first half of the show was dreadful, it was atrocious, it was horrific. Any word that you would like to use to describe it in a negative way, it was just putrid. It was so bad. It was like the venue looked nice, but the crowd was extremely quiet. And the wrestling went from bad to went from like, okay, like meh to, to, to much worse, or at least in my opinion, for the first, uh, first couple of matches of this show. And it was just like, ugh. Because Evolve is usually, the floor in Evolve is pretty high, usually. You know, usually you're like, Nothing's going to be bad, but on this this first half of this show, this sucked, and there's really no sugarcoating it. But I, I thought the rest of the show, the last three matches were good, very good, and, and, and really, like, maybe great, I would say. I, I thought that the final three matches sort of got better and better uh, towards the end, and I quite liked the main event. So I... I am, it, we'll, we'll argue about that later, I suppose, but, but the first half of the show was a dumpster fire. Yeah, I thought this was easily the worst Evolve show in recent memory. Can't really think back to one that I liked less than I liked this show. Like you said, the floor is usually pretty high. Usually if I watch an Evolve show, the worst thing that could happen is like Evolve 88, where it's a bunch of good matches that were fine, but I wasn't blown away. But there was some bad stuff here. And part of it is that a lot of the things that were done here are just things that I hate. So it is really a personal thing. But I get that we're in the South. I get that you're trying to do some things to get this new crowd excited, but I just don't watch Evolve to get my fill of Southern Indies. That's not why I'm here for the promotion. It's certainly not why I wanted to do this podcast. To be honest, I don't watch Southern Indies. I don't have any interest in them. Um, it's not that there's not some good wrestlers who are on some Southern Indies, but I think in general, and I'm going to make some enemies here, but it's fine. I'm not sure that Southern Indies guys are listening to this podcast anyway. Uh, if you are, hello, and I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. I just think the work is at a level that's below other Indies that I like to watch. And I think the the acts aren't at the same level as uh, the acts that I like. I think it's it's just low rent a lot of times. And I thought we saw some of that, like, creep into Evolve here, which uh, irritated me because I love Evolve and that's not what I want to see. Unfortunately, that's uh, a lot of what I got. So look, Aaron, I don't think you need to sugarcoat it. You know, I think you can say 
what you really mean and what we all know to be true, right? The South is a desolate wasteland full of know-nothing rubes, and they should have every show in the capital of the universe in Queens, New York. So I think we're completely in agreement here. And uh, our listeners I'm, glad, I'm glad you're really leaning into this uh, coastal elite gimmick that you're working on the show. It's not a gimmick. And <laughs> I, am, I am recording this show live from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So, I mean, there are people who argue that Kentucky isn't the South, but those people are dumb. So uh, I'm not here for that argument. Not going to engage in it. I do love the South. I'm playing. And I, you know, I spent those four years in Chapel Hill. They were some of the best years of my life. The people are warm and friendly. I'm always trying to talk my girlfriend into moving to Durham. (laughs) You know, I'm joking. Yes. One thing that actually drew me to uh, Aaron Taub is that he has uh, good takes about the South and it's hard when you're from the South and you are uh, a leftist or progressive in that sometimes you wonder, how can you separate the politics of the area from the people? And sometimes that's a struggle. I have spent way too much time since the last election defending Trump voters because I understand you know, where people from the South come from and how things happen that are sometimes hard to justify, but, but relatively easy to understand if you take the time to do it. So. Uh, not here to crap on the South. I love the South. Uh, I would never leave the South, but uh, Southern Indie Wrestling, I'm here to crap on. So let's start with a non-Southern match. Timothy Thatcher defeated Darby Allen with something that the ref didn't understand and it went poorly. And uh, bizarrely, this was probably the best match on the early part of the show <laughs> and it had a completely screwed up finish. Uh, but I did, I mean, I like Timothy Thatcher kind of uh, just demolishing Darby. I like Darby's little comebacks. Uh, he's, he's enjoyable when he's doing that, but there just, there wasn't much to it. Yeah, I would agree. It was, it was fine. All right, moving on. But in short, you would have thought it would have been like a little longer and they would have given you more, but it was, yeah. it was. Especially since there was quite a bit of buildup to it. Yeah. Uh, right, right. He had that whole mini, I completely forgot he had that whole mini doc where he, he threw the sling in the fire and yeah, and he was, yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and that just yeah. did not. <laughs> and we completely forgot to bear here. What a nothing match it was. That's yeah. a bummer. Yes. So. For the next match, uh, our boy ACH comes out and he's rocking the t-shirt and shorts. And he says, well, what's funny is he'd been tweeting earlier in the day about how he was going to be in the main event tonight against Ethan Page. And <laughs> Ethan Page had this great response tweet where he said, look, I'm not even in the main event when I have a title match. <laughs> so this is, we'll probably be third, he said. Well, instead they were second. And ACH comes out and he says, look, I understand I'm not going going to be in the main event tonight and that I get paid to wrestle, so I'm going to have to wrestle. But this is second match ACH. It's what you're going to get. And uh, I thought, okay, I like this. Like, I like where this is going. And Ethan Page uh, proposes that a good thing for them to do, since Ethan Page is also, uh, you know, maybe not where he'd like to be in the company, is they could have a little exchange of skills. He said, you know, he saw ACH's promo the night before and it sucked, which I think ACH legitimately laughed at when he said, 
<laughs> so I enjoyed that. And he said, uh, how about I give you some promo tips? You give me some wrestling tips. We'll get signed. Then we'll get fired because everybody hates us. And we'll come back here. And we'll be great. And I was enjoying this. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, he leans in, whispers something to ACH. ACH starts with The Rock, finally, promo. And Ace, and Ethan Page is like, okay, no, you can't do that. Uh, you can't use The Rock's lines. Also, uh, if you do that, it's going to be edited out of this DVD so he can throw a little shade at Ricochet, which I enjoyed. Uh, then we had this really weird match where they kind of just um, went through went through pro wrestling tropes and like announced like the things they were getting ready to do and then did them. And it was really stupid. It really sucked. I hated it and I wanted to turn it off. Uh, Were you any less horrified by what was happening in front of you? Oh yeah. It was the weirdest thing. The crowd seemed to think it was really funny. And there are a lot of people who really enjoyed this and thought it was like a very clever and smart, but I, I thought it sucked. I mean, I thought at the beginning of the pre-match was funny. It was kind of like this sort of like vaudeville, you know, act where, you know, it's like very producers almost too, you know, like, we're going to charge him for more. And I I it is cute. But then the match started. It was just like, it was, you know, firstly, like, I'm not huge on comedy wrestling, but when I do, like, I like bits of comedy. Like if I, if we watch, you know, if you watch Beyond Wrestling and you see Orange Cassidy do his thing where he has kind of a similar um, a similar sort of uh, laziness in the ring, a disaffected attitude where he, you know, he runs the ropes in slow motion, he doesn't care. But they never do anything that like totally kills your suspension of disbelief in that when you watch these matches, you're still, you still feel like you're watching a wrestling match where everyone in it is like kind of trying to win or, you know, or would prefer to win than to lose. And in this match, it was just like, it, it's it's hard to have this in the middle of a serious wrestling show to be like, to have the guys telling each other what they're going to do next and make, you know, and doing the fake, you know, Okado mega spot with, you know, the, clo- you know, the Rainmaker reversals. And it, it's hard to have something like that and then be like, this is stupid. This isn't real, right? But this next match for our championship this is important. This matters, you know? And so it really took me out of things. And also it just wasn't that funny. It wasn't that smart. They just, they were just sort of like, they, they just identified tropes in wrestling, but they didn't really comment on them. They were just like, remember when these things happen, we think they're dumb. And it just like, they didn't play with it in a way that I found creative or interesting. And it was just like, it was like very like, I don't know. And for me, in that sense, it worked. Like, I was pissed at these people. Like, I thought, I was like, yeah, bring this act to New York, and I will blow my lungs out booing it. You know, I would have just heckled the shit out of these people and told them to get on with the match. But the people in the crowd loved it. They were like, oh, I recognize that. Yeah, I read the internet. I know about the thing with Ricochet. This is amazing. And I was just like, all right, well, like, whatever. That's that's y'all's opinion. And it would have been one thing if Ethan Page comes out and he's like, I can't do anything I say I'm going to do, so I'm just going to have this stupid match where, because that's all I'm good at, whatever. But he never even comments on the fact 
that he has again lost the match that he swore he was going to win, that he had made such a big deal out of. He just has this little comedy match. As I said on Twitter, and Ethan Page liked the tweet, was that if you if there's one thing you can count on, it's Ethan Page having a comedy match the night after he loses a big match he swore he'd win. Yeah, this was um, it's sad because it, it almost feels like they're telling us like this is what Ethan Page is going to be now, which is kind of like this jokey comedy middle of the show, you know, vaudeville villain or whatever. And uh, and and so I I was disappointed because I was you know three month three or four months ago whenever leading into that Zack Sabre Junior match I was all in and on this guy as a main event level bad guy. And, and and a really interesting character, and and it's disappointing to see what has become of him over the past few months. But he's he's the only is. he's the only guy in the company who can cut like really great promos, like high level promos. And because of that, he can be a main event heel because he gets you invested in matches. Like yes, his work is not my favorite. But this is a guy you can't waste like this. You really can't uh, use him to look. Maybe he's never going to be your champion or he's going to be a short time champion where, you know, the, the story is about chasing him to to dethrone him. But he's a guy who needs to be at the top and he can be a gatekeeper of sorts mm, uh, where he can beat a lot of people. But maybe he can't beat the Sabres and Riddles of the world and Keith Lee, but he can beat everybody else. Right. Uh, so. It's a real bummer that uh, instead this is the way we see Paige get used. Oh, God. And if it if you thought it couldn't get worse, I'm not sure that it got worse. But the next match, Jason Kincaid defeated John Davis uh, after a double stomp. Uh, this was bad. Like, the last thing was bad because it was stupid. This was a bad wrestling match. Oh, yeah, it sucked. It was... It was just plotting was the best word that I, I could think of to describe it. So I think you texted me and you were like, this sucks. And then like seven minutes later, I was like, this match is still, I texted you back. I was like, this is still happening. This match is still going on and it sucks. And I don't know really, uh, I'm not sure why, but it was just, I mean, it just felt like just nothing was happening and it was going at a snail's pace. And then like later they tried to do some big moves, like some high spots, so to speak. And it was just like, they felt like they were just kind of being thrown in there. It was just, it was, it was brutal. It was. And you know, you say, not sure why after the match, interestingly, Gabe Sapolsky retweeted a tweet where someone said uh, with Kincaid's meditative pace, you really, the other person in the match really has to carry the burden as far as keeping the, the, the intensity up of the match. And the tweet specifically said, and John Davis failed to do that. And Sapolsky retweeted it, which uh, seems bad news for John Davis uh, going forward. And also seemed really weird. I mean, yikes. Yikes. Um, <laughs> yikes. And, and that's, that's how you would... Uh, <laughs> That's actually that's a better word than plotting to describe the match. <laughs> yeah. Yikes! And I'm not a pro wrestler, so I'm not going to claim to uh, know exactly how to lay out matches. But to me, we don't see enough of John Davis in this promotion for me to have some big, huge uh, opinion about him. Kincaid, I think, 
he had a, he had one match that I liked in Evolve. Otherwise, he's been uh, relatively sloppy. Disjoint his matches are disjointed. I can easily blame this on Kincaid and not feel bad about it at all. I don't think the Kincaid experiment in Evolve has worked, and I honestly think it's time to cut bait. I have no interest in his matches at this point. Yeah, this this wasn't good, and we'll see. I, like I was into the character, and but then they sort of stopped with that storyline with his victories. We'll see what they do with it. I'm 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 still interested to see where it goes, but uh, but yeah, man, <sighs> gotta get better. <laughs> gotta get better than this. Yeah, it didn't get better than that. <laughs> well, it got better than that, but. Tracy Williams, Keith Lee in the next match. I was fired up for this, Aaron. They had a great match uh, a few months ago that I loved. And I was like, all right, we're going to get that again. I was concerned about who was going to win because I thought both guys needed a victory at this point. So instead, we get this, this weird match. It was going okay at the beginning of the match. And then we get this really weird ref bump, which like... I don't know. That's not a thing in Evolve. That's not a thing. Uh, but here it is as a thing. Then they kind of go outside and start brawling. And then the locker room empties to to break up these guys who are like kind of somewhat fighting each other. I mean, they come out like somebody's got a, a sickle and is like <laughs> driving it into his forehead. He's going to pull his eye out. So we've got to split these two up. Oh, they're just like kind of throwing some forearms, which is like every wrestling match in the world. So it didn't make any sense. It was clearly all a setup for Keith Lee to do a big dive uh, onto all the people who came out. Um, but it just, it never made sense why everybody came out from the back and nothing really came of it. Uh, it was stupid. Yeah, this was like, something they would write in the WWE. This is yes. like something you'd see on Monday Night Raw, which I think is kind of the most damning thing I can say about a piece of pro wrestling. Cause it was just like, it was almost as if they decided they didn't want one of these guys to lose like 10 minutes before this match happened. And this was the first thing they thought. I mean, there are other ways. Evolve is better than this. They're smarter and more creative and they can do something. There's their, Lots and lots of other ways to have a non-finish and get a Keith, Keith Lee dive in there to to make the crowd happy. But it just, uh, yeah, there was just, it made no sense that they, the you know, they had, you know, everyone came out and just went to a no contest. It was, uh, yeah. Whew. Exactly. So I'm seeing people on Twitter talking about how they're turning off the show at this point. And, uh, I could not, of course. Well, I wouldn't have because I knew Austin Theory and Trent Moretta was coming up. But also I couldn't because we do this podcast and I'm committed and dedicated to this podcast. Luckily, things picked up a little bit in the next match. We got the workhorsemen, Anthony Henry and James Drake. They come out and uh, Stokely is out. He gets on the mic and he says that he has secured a title match for a title rematch for Chris Dickinson and Jocka. Kind of what we expected as Evolve 88 ended. Okay, we can do this. We can run this back tomorrow night. 
and try again, which I liked. Then it got a little weird. A, a bizarre, uh, I guess you could call it a hip-hop song, starts booming over the speakers. And out come these guys who I, I have learned are known as the Ugly Ducklings. They appear to be popular in this market, as everybody in the crowd seemed to know who they were. Uh, they seem pretty goofy to me. It was, as you can tell by their name, they were working some sort of duck gimmick where they get the crowd to say quack a lot. And look, I'm a big Mighty Ducks fan, and this was not as cool as the Mighty Ducks. In fact, it was offensive that they were ripping off the Mighty Ducks, which is a great piece of American cinema. <laughs> but I digress. This became a three-way, the Workhorsemen, Dickinson and Jaka, the Ugly Ducklings. The match was fine. Uh, it was good. There was plenty of good stuff in it. What did you think about it, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, this was sort of like where the show started to turn around. I think that, yeah, it was high impact, a lot of action, short and sweet, lots of dives and head drops and people flying all over the place. And, you know, the way you would expect in a well-done three-way tag team match. I didn't think it wasn't like incredible or the best thing I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but it was proactively good. I would have rather, it was, it was good. It was a fun little match. And, and it's funny cause it's like, I, I don't, I haven't seen enough of the ugly ducklings to, to really comment on where they are as performers and how good they are. But I, I can certainly say that the gimmick is not something that really fits in with evolve. It's a little too goofy, a little too silly for, I think the vibe of this company. But with that said, it where you can't hate on their inclusion in this because the crowd loved them. They were like one of the most overacts on the show. They went nuts when they came out. So in that sense, you know, they had a nice little match and knack that the crowd was just really, really into it. So the crowd started to show a little bit of life. Uh, so that was really nice. And, uh, you know, I saw the anger and the frustration continue to mount uh, from uh, Jocka and Dickinson. And so, you know, those are two dudes who always come off like they're pissed off. And so I think hopefully we'll see them, you know, sort of, reach new le- new levels of uh, pissed offedness in the months to come. I'm going to hate on their inclusion in the match. Oh, okay. One, from one perspective. More South bashing. Yes. This is going to be more South bashing. This, you already said it, but this gimmick has no business in Evolve. None whatsoever. These, these, this actress had no business being here. It, it reminded me of, the same kind of cynicism that led New Japan to book Billy Gunn for the G1 special uh, didn't have the same outcome because the crowd actually cared about uh, the Ugly Ducklings instead of uh, Billy Gunn in Long Beach. But the same cynicism of like, oh, we're in this market and maybe this is the kind of thing that these people care about. But you got to have a higher bar for the people that you bring into this company. And you have to, if you want to expand into new markets, Show them your product. This is our authentic product. Do you like it or do you not like it? The Ugly Ducklings, you know, and I'm saying this to the good Lord above, are not going to be in this promotion going forward. They were most likely brought out to pop the crowd, get them invested in this one match, and we'll never hear from them again. But we already had Drake and Henry in the match to do that. The crowd was already invested in them. I know that North Carolina is not the same as Georgia. I know all the South is not uh, monolithic, 
but they were going to do the job. Now, the one way that their inclusion does make sense, but this is a booking issue, is the workhorsemen could pin the ugly ducklings and we still save the eventual rematch between the workhorsemen and Dickinson and Jocka down the line. I appreciate that. But as uh, as our good friend Joe Lanza says, you book this stuff. You didn't have to do it this way. So, anyway, luckily the match itself was good. There was a lot of fun stuff. The bald guy from the Ugly Ducklings had like one of the worst tattoos I've ever seen in my life. So I was really distracted by that at times. It reminded me of Icarus uh, as far as awful back pieces go. But the work itself was good. It was fun. Chris Dickinson had that nasty uh, German suplex that just brought me out of my seat. Uh, just love his viciousness. And uh, I hope he brings that to bear when they eventually get a two-on-two rematch against the Work Horsemen. Okay. Let's talk about something that I really liked, Aaron. Finally. Next, yes. Austin Theory defeated Trip Beretta. After the Theory KO. And this match was excellent. It wasn't as good as the match that they had before, but it was still awesome. Trent Beretta is one of the best in the world at this point. Feel confident saying that. I said on Twitter, I wish I didn't watch New Japan so I could vote Trent as Wrestler of the Year. Obviously, Okada and Omega have had better years than Trent Beretta has. But it's closer than you think because every match this guy has is excellent. Uh, He doesn't have any of the uh, pink tights wearing Kenny Omega matches. He only has classics. Did you like the match as much as I did? No, but I did really like it. I don't think I would would label it a classic. Well, I mean, I I might be exaggerating a little, but it was really good. But no, I enjoyed it. I I loved it. Really into Austin Theory right now. I love that there was, you know, he's working on Trent's injured elbow, and there was one spot where he did like a running punt to the to the arm, and I was like, oh, that's nasty. That's a nasty thing to do to someone. And uh, it, it just really, you know, they started out throwing trash cans at each other. I'm like, yeah, I'm here for this. Let's go. So yeah, I thought it was a good story, and crowd got behind Trent, and I liked you know when he tried to do the dude buster, but he couldn't because all the way because his arm was hurt. And I know, I know you love it. I know this motherfucker loves selling on offense. Aaron, <laughs> tell tell the people how much you love this dude when he goes up for the dude buster and he can't even grab the other. He can't even use his other arm to grab him, and he does the dude buster anyway. And then he can't use that arm for the pin. And Lenny Leonard is like, oh man, his arm is so destroyed he can't even sink the uh, pin in because of his uh, the elbow that's so bad off. And that's why he didn't get the pinfall there. And I'm like, yes, this is what I love. This is what I love. <laughs> oh, So I was defending Austin Theory on Twitter after the match. There were some people who are not in Austin Theory, and those people can get lost because Austin Theory is great. He is 19 years old, as Lenny Leonard told us many times. He's not going to be 19 for much longer. By the next shows, he's apparently going to be 20 years old. A young guy in the business, but I thought his his work in this match was so impressive because he kept finding new ways to get at Trent's elbow. And he would kind of get him out of nowhere, which I really appreciated. He was laser-focused on the elbow. He's just – he is smart beyond his years as far as uh, the in-ring work. 
His character work was good. It needs some work. Like he says to Trent, look at you and then look at me. And it's like, okay, yes, you're built and you are uh, well-maintained, but Trent is built too. I mean, we're not talking about like, if he'd done this the night before against Ethan Case, it might've been a successful taunt. But against Trent, it's like, ah, Trent's a pretty good looking dude. Let's let's pump the brakes here. Anyway, I love this. I'm all in on Austin Theory. Uh, I can't wait to see what they do with him next month, uh, the show with progress. Okay, we have one more match to talk about on this show. It was the main event. Zack Sabre Jr., your Evolve champion, defeated Fred Yehai with uh, what Aaron has dubbed the Backbridge of Doom. And you like this match a lot better than I did. So uh, do you want to be positive first or do you want me to be negative first? Um, well, this is going to be like the last thing we talk about. So you be negative. You bring him down. I'll bring him up. We'll send the people home happy. Yes. Excellent. Classic wrestling psychology, right? I love it. I love it. Here's my problem with the match. Fred Yehi refuses to sell and work. He won't do it. He, he just won't do it. Zach is doing all these nasty submission holes like he always does at the start of matches. It goes on for quite a while, these Zach submission holds. And then Yehi no-sells them. It makes the first part of the match pointless. It makes Zach look stupid because why did he do all that? He must not be very good at it when we know that Zach's draw in this promotion is that he's one of the best technical submission wrestlers in the world. So either Yehi is a machine and a monster and he should destroy Zach or sell the moves, sell the holds. Come on, Fred, because what I need for you is to get beat down in this match. We're in your hometown. I need you to get beat down. The crowd is fired up because you've suffered all this destruction at the hands of Zach Sabre Jr. Then you make your comeback and everybody's pumped. But no, the crowd was sitting on their hands the whole match because there was no reason to get behind Fred Yehi because he wasn't selling. He wasn't beaten down. He was just like, oh, there's some moves. Now I'm going to do my weird little stomps and stuff. That's what happened. And that's uh, this overall was a pretty good match at the end of the day. But it had the chance to be a really good match. And I thought Fred Yehi's lack of selling just kind of destroyed that. But I'm not going to put it all on Yehi. I am going to say this one thing about Zack Sabre Jr. And that is, we got this little story throughout the match that every time Sabre was about to finish off Yehi, it's a little too close to the ropes. And so Yehi would get the ropes. Zack had to break and kind of start all over again. So I was like, okay, sweet. We're going to have this little finish where... Uh, you know, Zach does the thing that he does where he gets the arm. Then he has to get the leg. Then he gets the other arm and, you know, just wrecks this guy. And so he finally has to tap in the middle of the ring because uh, he finally got him away from the ropes. But instead, we get the little uh, the little back bridge of doom finish, which is fine. Zach has made that to be a pretty credible finish uh, by using it in this uh, championship run and evolve. But I don't know. Overall, I thought it was a fine match, but the crowd didn't care. And I really didn't, wasn't invested in it. I really didn't care that much. Um, so there you go. I've been negative for a long time. Bring the positivity to the people. Yeah, well, one thing we got to 
say that's very positive is we made it almost all the way through this entire podcast before we got some Aaron Bentley fantasy booking. <laughs> but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I, I didn't notice the selling issue that much. I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as focused on that. I don't, it doesn't, I don't see it the way a lot of other people do, I guess. It doesn't pop out at me. And I was just kind of sucked into this um, intensity. I think you, you were really, you made a great point earlier in the show when he talked about how Zack Sabre Jr. really kind of stands out on these shows. His matches are different because they're just different than what the other people are doing uh, on the shows. And this kind of just sucked me in as this, like, just like the night before, as this kind of intense competitive fight. And I love that it was just the kind of match where they were just, it was like a, like a rapid fire. It was like watching speed chess where each guy is just jockeying for position. And, you know, he felt like whoever could get the advantage long enough to stick in the right move or the right hold, but it would be the one to get the, the win. Like there was a sequence later in the match where they were dodging each other's kicks and leg sweeps. And you see those kinds of like, sort of like matrix minute almost kind of spots where that Jerry Lynn, Rob Van Dam match for match, you know, trading, you know, attempts. And then, you know, they do the indie standoff and it feels very hokey, but this, it just felt earned and they didn't do like the dopey standoff. They kept going, you know? And then, so it, it, it felt like they were just really uh, going at it. And there was a lot of urgency and I just, I bought into it, I guess is, is for lack of a better explanation. And I love, I love the back bridge of doom. It gets me every time, every time I, it comes up, it's an, it's exciting and it feels like a surprise. And, and I love that Zach is developing it as kind of the, the, the last resort, the ultimate weapon, you know, if, if nothing else works, he can hit it. And I felt that, and, and when he eventually loses this title, like that back bridge is going to play a part of it. Someone's going to counter it or well, whatever, something's going to happen with it. And so I like that they're continuing to develop it. And I just, I don't know, I was just into this match when it was over. I was like, damn, that was, that was good as hell. I, I, I liked it. All right, well, we got to have some disparate takes at some point on this show, so uh, it's for the best. Okay, that's everything from this Evolve weekend for Evolve 88 and Evolve 89. It We promised last time it was going to be a while before we came back, and we lied because we, did. we didn't realize how quickly the shows were coming back. Yeah, it really snuck up on us. I was like, dang, this is like we're just recording all the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> This is a little, this this is like taking up a lot of my life. Yes, but uh, we're. I mean, I love doing it, but I'm also like, ah, oh, damn, like. Yeah, twice a month. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we do a lot of work to get ready for the show. So we mostly, mostly Aaron Tab does a lot of work to get ready for the shows. So we're going to be back in about a month. The next shows are uh, on August 11 and August 12. Evolve 90 and Evolve 91. Evolve 90 is going to be in Joppa, Maryland on August 11th. And then uh, Evolve 91 is going to be August 12th, August 12th in uh, Corona, New York, I believe. Yeah. And the fun part about that one is going to be that it is the doubleheader with progress. Uh, the one match that we know is going to happen is Walter versus Matt Riddle for the WWN Championship. I don't know a lot about Walter, so I'm going to I'm going to study up on Walter before uh, these next shows come up. And we do know, as I predicted, that Trent Seven and Tyler Bate 
and Pete Dunn are all going to be on the progress show that day. I kind of discussed early on when these first were announced that maybe that's why they agreed not to run on, on SummerSlam weekend so they could use some of these guys in those shows. So hmm, we'll see how that, if that plays, I mean, those guys aren't showing up on Evolve, but you know, it's going to be the full day. Uh, that should be pretty fun. You're going to be at both shows, Aaron? Yeah, man. You're going to be in the front Ooh. row. I'm, I'm fired up. Front row? Yeah. We're going to have to get you an Everything Evolves t-shirt to wear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got we to gotta make one. <laughs> Obviously. People are, gotta, people are begging for them. Look, if we can sell a t-shirt to half of the people who follow us on Twitter, <laughs> that's like 50 t-shirts. <laughs> It's more than that. We picked up a lot of followers of this weekend. All right, all right, yeah. I yeah, shouldn't understand. Sixty t-shirts. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we should see you back in about a month. Uh, we'll be back. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Want to remind everyone to check out all the great podcasts on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network at VoicesOfWrestling.com or your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe only to the Everything Evolves feed uh, by going on there, finding the RSS feed, subscribe directly to that, and you will get just our shows. You should enjoy all the shows on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, but if you just need your Evolve fix, subscribe to our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at EvolvePod. It's going to be really important over the next month because things are going to happen. You're going to need takes from the wrong boys, and we will be there to bring them. All right. I think that's it for this episode. I am Aaron Bentley for Aaron Taub. We are Everything Evolves. We'll see you next time. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.